Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool mothers by homeschool mothers. Grandmothers, actually. My name is Karen Kern, and I'm here today with my co-host, Renee Mathis. Hi, Renee. Hi, Karen. It's good to see you. How are you? Good. I'm good. It's kind of a dreary day here. What's it like there? Yeah, we could use some sunshine, but um, it's not raining, so that's fine. Louisiana is full to Mardi Gras season, so until I moved here, I had no idea that people just basically leave their Christmas trees out, and then they redo all the decorations in purple, green, and gold. No, they don't. They do. No. And and then there there are people who decorate the outside of their house, not only with wreaths, but um, colored lights. So it's not unusual to drive through town in some of the neighborhoods, and instead of Christmas lights, they have green, gold, and yellow lights. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a spirit of community right there. <laughs> I guess. I guess. It, it's, you know, I mean, I'm all about, let, let's just eat king cake, right? If I, if I can do yeah. something, and uh, that's always fun. So, yeah, it, it's well, fun here. Welcome to the season. <laughs> we don't do that here in North Carolina. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'm sure that there are neighborhoods where the Christmas lights are still hanging. But, yeah, the Christmas trees are mostly gone. Yeah. Now, I will say we we are bringing our dog Friday night. There's a local business that's doing like a pet photo opportunity for Mardi Gras. And so I don't know if they're going to like put beads on the dog. I was going to say. Or what? I have no idea. I'll, I'll let you know. Purple, shiny beads on your dog. Yeah. That'll be lovely. It looks so cute. <laughs> that's funny. Well, anyway, today we do not have a guest. It's just Renee and I, and we have decided, I think actually Renee had this brilliant idea, that uh, we will, over the course of the next little while, one episode a month, we will talk about Norms and Nobility by David Hicks. And some of you might have read it. Some of you might wish you could read it, uh, but you haven't because you haven't had time, or maybe it seems a little intimidating or maybe it is a little too expensive or a lot too expensive, but there's good news on that front. 
because uh, we recently learned that it is actually being republished by the original publisher. And instead of having it be a textbook with textbook prices, they're going to drop the price. And so um, all of us can afford it. And um, it will be more, I think, I think, and I'm not sure about this, but I believe that David Hicks has written a new introduction to it because it's like 40 years. Wow. He wrote it in 1981. Yeah, he did that. The version that we have has a 1990 introduction, a preface. And so now it's 40 years. So here it is again. This is such so, good news. I, I, I know. Y'all, this is such good news. Because what does it cost right now? It's like fifty dollars, forty. It's like fifty dollars. It's more than that, and you can get it on Amazon yeah. or wherever. But it's prohibitive. And I remember right? having a conversation with David Hicks at one of the conferences, and he himself expressed that he wished the price were lower because he, he you know, he obviously has no control over it. It's a publisher's decision, right. and um, and and we were all like, you know, why is your book so expensive? And so I I just love that, you know, he's not in it for the money and the, you know. The, right, right. It's just, yeah. That's just the way it is. But I'm so excited the publishers maybe finally listening to the voice of the public and dropping the price. That is so yeah. exciting. Because yeah. if, if the price was keeping you from, from buying it, it shouldn't now. And um, I would encourage every homeschool mom to have a copy of this on their shelf and just Find a way to start reading it, even if it's in little tiny chunks. And that's why we're here. We're, you know, we want to make it a little easier on you. And it's not that you can't read it. It's not that it's too hard for anybody to read. But I'm just finding with, with books, it's just more fun if you read them with somebody else. It's always yeah. more fun to have someone to talk to about them. And so. Yeah, and it, it does help. And a book like this, I mean, it is, it's not easy to read, really. It can be challenging in that, you know, you he'll write a paragraph or a few sentences and then you think, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> you know, and then and and that but the, the general ideas make so much sense. And they they put words to things, he puts words to things that we know to be true and um makes it very accessible yeah. in that way. But some of you know, some of his writing you have to you have to read a couple times. Yeah. So that's what I'll, I mean, I'll just pass along the tips that exercise. this is what I tell my apprentices when, when we approach this book and I'll say, you know, a couple of things that will be helpful is read with your pen at hand or your highlighters or both. Um, make notes of things that you really like that jump out at you because there are plenty of, plenty of quote worthy, highlight worthy sentences in this book. And the other thing that is often helpful is Within a chapter, he will subdivide sections with um, Roman numerals. And so a Roman numeral section might be a page and a half. And I would encourage you to read it and then try to at least summarize in just a few words what that section is about, just as best you can. And, and write down, you know, the name of this section. This is about this, like uh, one section, Can Virtue Be Taught?, uh, one of my other sections is living the virtuous life. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but just it helps you kind of make your way through the chapter. And the other right. thing is, if you find a section that that causes you to scratch your head a little bit, um, go to the index and see if those words show up in other chapters. And you can go and see what else he had to say about it somewhere else. Or just get your dictionary out and 
your vocabulary will get a workout. (laughs) (laughs) You will learn some new words. Um, Or don't, you know, just just read on and assume that it will all fall together and make sense at some point. And that's okay, too. So there are a lot of different ways to approach this book. But the main thing is um, be excited and and look forward to what what you're going to get out of it. Right. So for a reader who hasn't heard of, maybe even heard of it, or doesn't really know anything about it, um, since you teach it in your apprenticeship, just explain maybe a little bit about why, why it's it's so important to the homeschool mom when David Hicks was actually a classroom teacher and an administrator ahead of school for many years. And some of his examples tend to um, be applied in the classroom, but we use it in the apprenticeship. So maybe you could just like explain how, why and how we use it in the apprenticeship. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not the one who chose it for the apprenticeship, but i Trust that those who do. I think probably Andrew. Oh, it was your husband. Yeah, I got our best interest at heart, and and I really do appreciate that that we not only read it once during the apprenticeship, we read it every year. So we read one year, we read the whole thing all the way through, and then one year we read half of it, and then the next year you read the second half. Um, so a little bit slower pace, and of course I've been leading my own you know apprenticeship group since 2015, so I've read it a lot. Um, what does it have to say to the homeschool mom? It's about the principles behind classical education and some big picture principles, some big picture philosophical principles that I think once we understand those, then the smaller question, you know, it's like that. Okay, so it reminds me of that um, time management illustration, if you've ever seen it with, you know, you have a mason jar, and that represents all the time you have. And you've got all these tasks that you have to fit into the jar, right? And so if the big tasks are represented by big rocks and this medium tasks are represented by little pebbles and the smaller tasks are represented by sand, right? And you right. start by putting the sand in first. You think, well, those are the easy ones because they're little. I'll do those first. Pretty soon you find out you don't have room for all the rocks and the big things get left out. But if you put the rocks in first and then the pebbles, then the sand will go in last and it will fill in all the spaces. And so the idea being you get your priorities straight and you you major on the majors first. And I think that's what norms helps us do. It, it helps us major on the majors. Once you have those big, big questions settled, like, why am I doing this? What is the purpose behind classical education? Why is classical education for everybody? Why is this not some elitist 300-year-old idea that was only suitable for, you know, children of royalty or something like that. Um, But when you get all those questions settled, then the little questions about what reading program do I use or what year do I start Latin, those will fall into place. Right. Right. And I I think that it answers, it goes deeper, goes deeper and broader on the issues of what is classical education? Is it something like, do I have to teach Latin, as you've said? Is it is it really just about memorizing things in the lower grades? You know, is it is it more than the trivium? And I think that once once you've um, encountered classical education for a little bit, you start to wonder that. You know, you understand the trivium, and you understand that it matches the way children learn, and you understand that um, you know some memorizing and facts are important in the lower grades. But this takes you beyond that. Mm-hmm and uh wider and deeper Mm -hmm. and it's very satisfying in that way 
I think. And it it encourages you to keep going. It does. And he just paints the most beautiful picture of what we would just call the good life, the flourishing life. What does that look like? And of course, we want our children to flourish and to do well. Um, So how is their education going to get them there? And does it make a difference what kind of an education you provide for them? And I think we can definitely say it does make a difference. And he proves that really well. Yeah, let's let's talk about the title for a minute. Yeah. You know, like I love this title because um, the words that he, the, the choices, of course, you know, you have the NN, which makes it easy to remember. And, um, and you know, good title. But the words, norms, nobility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is a norm? Um, I, I'm going to tell you a, a quick story about, on our, um, I don't think I've told this before, on our uh, guest bedroom wall in our in our house, we have two diplomas, and they are gigantic. Back when college diplomas used to be, I mean, they're probably two feet by three feet each. They're huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are my husband's great, great, no, great grandparents' diplomas. And they are from what was, uh, they're dated 1898. And they are um, from what was then called Arizona Territorial Normal School. Oh. And that school went on to become, so Arizona didn't even become a state until I think 1912. Um, So back then it was a territory. And college was called a normal school. It it went on to become Arizona State University in, in Tempe. But um, back then it was called a normal school. And most teachers' colleges were called normal schools because they taught norms. Norms. These are the, the things that every child should learn. These are the, the things that make up an educated person. And, you know, a person who is educated will know these things. A norm is like a standard, right? Right. And so you would want to be a teacher to improve that you are educated on all these different fields. And the diplomas are beautiful. Of course, it's that beautiful, you know, Spencerian penmanship and and it lists all the subjects that 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 both great grandmother and great grandfather before they were married. They both went to this school and, um, you know, rhetoric and geography and geometry and literature, all the subjects that, that they were considered educated in. So I always think of that when I see the title of this book that um, we come from a long line of teachers in our family. Yeah. So in other words, norms, norms represents the body of knowledge that is taught and learned. Right. right? It's, what's, it's what's true it, to a culture and what matters to a culture and a society and those things that, that are necessarily handed down right. to children. But, but Hicks goes beyond just facts. He's, when he talks about right. norms, he's not talking just what is it that I should know, but what is it that I should be? What should I do? Um, and, and what do we want our children to act like? And so that right. standard of, I don't want to just say behavior because that seems to minimize it, but that standard of of morality, of, of virtue. Let's just use the word virtue. Yeah, virtue, good word. Um, that standard of virtue is what we want to teach them to aim for. And that becomes a norm in the same way that there's a norm of learning how to read and spell and, and write compositions. There's a norm in how you should behave with virtue. And, right. and I think what Hicks is saying is that every 
every child, this is not just for the quote unquote nobility that were born with a title, um, but it's for anyone who wants to rise to that level of virtue and behavior. Yeah. And on page, um, on page Roman numeral six in the preface, right? Uh, you probably have this underlined in yours, the bottom of the third paragraph down. Um, let me just read this because it ends with the word noble. Education must address the whole student, his emotional and spiritual sides, as well as his rational. The aims of education, the teacher's methods, the books and lessons, the traditions and regulations of the school, all must express not just ideas, but norms, tending to make young people not only rational, but noble. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just such a, it's just that title is so beautiful mm-hmm. because, you know, no, to be noble is such a, a high something to aspire to such a high calling. I remember um, when I was teaching third grade and we were talking about um, King David in the Bible and there was a verse, I I don't remember where it is, but it talks about him having a noble soul Mm. and just, just talking to these children about what that might look like to be noble. And then as we read various books that year, we were able to, you know, bring that, that idea into all these different characters. Is that a noble action? Mm -hmm. You know, Pinocchio. (laughs) Right. Because, you know, these other characters and them finding in themselves a desire to be noble Mm -hmm. and without moralizing to be able to say after a kerfuffle or something on the playground, you know, was your behavior noble? And they knew what I meant because we'd been talking about it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. anyway, I love the it's title. Not, and the, the, the idea of nobility is not something that was handed to you, but it's something that you are and it develops from within. Like you said, that you aspire to that. Um, I mean, we could go back to Augustine and the rightly ordered loves, the Ordo Amoris, mm-hmm. right? That this is something that, we want our children to want to be, we don't want them to be good. We want them to want to be good. Yeah. Right. And that there's a difference. There is. Because you can expose external standards of behavior and external limits and discipline and, and rewards or punishments or whatever, but until it's motivated from within, it really isn't part of who the child is. Yeah. One of one of my favorite lines, and there's so many favorite lines, um, but this is also from the preface. Um, and, and this is what I would encourage our homeschool moms who are listening at this point. Schools are places where students learn because they are places, sorry, I'm on Roman numeral eight. They are places where teachers learn. Only a school, and by extension, a curriculum that encourages teachers to be always learning will keep its teachers fresh and fearless. Teachers, let's be fresh and fearless. You know, if we're going to do a new coffee mug for Dwell, I think we need fresh and fearless yes. on there. <laughs> okay. yeah. it, keep, it will keep its teachers fresh and fearless and its students happy and motivated in their studies, ready to test their lessons against life. And that's not something that has to take place in a classroom, in a Christian school, in a classical school. That's something that takes place around your dinner table, no matter where your kids go to school. But Teachers have to be teachers who keep learning, who want to keep learning right alongside their students. 
And that's right. one of the secrets. And that's what makes homeschooling doable. Um, you don't have to know everything. Right. Right. You, as your student is approaching biology or something that seems daunting to you, you can keep learning. You can learn it with your student. Mm-hmm. I mean, often we choose when they get older to, you know, put them in co-ops or in some way, make our lives a little easier and do that too. But don't be afraid when you don't know an answer. Right. Or ah. even if you're not learning the same thing your students are for whatever reason, it doesn't mean you can't be learning something else, like something different. Right. Oh, that's true. Mom's learning yeah. this over here while, you know, Junior's learning this over here, but they're both right. learning and they're both... Right. And, you know, coming to an understanding of this is what it feels like to encounter new information that I'm not comfortable with. And, and right. And it's hard child and say, I, I get what you're going through. It's hard, but I'm determined and I'm not going to give up. And you can set that example for your kids. And that's one of the goals of the apprenticeship, right? To be, to be learning. Right. Yourself as a mother yeah. or as a teacher. Right. To be growing. And to be doing that in community with other people and getting feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's super valuable. So in the prologue, we're getting through the preface and prologue today, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do the preface and prologue. And then next time we do, we'll go to chapter one. So he does say what the purpose of this book is. Mm-hmm. Um which would be a good thing to talk about the purpose of the book on page on page three, um, right in the middle of the page, almost my purpose in writing this book is to offer a personal interpretation of classical education, its ends, as well as some of its means, and to respond to the objections of those who might approve the goals of such an education, but to believe that it cannot meet the needs of an industrial democracy or that it is not feasible as a model of mass for mass education. So, you know, he does explain why it's for everybody. Mm -hmm. That's one of the goals. Um, And then when he says it's ends as well as some of his means, you know, some of the, what we want, what we want our our student to um, accomplish and to become and how we can get them there Mm -hmm. would be the means. And in the back of the book, he does offer curriculum right. for, for seventh to twelfth graders um, in all the subjects. And um that's very useful. I mean, you don't you wouldn't ever feel like you had to do it all, but it's a really useful resource. Right. One of the um one of you know, we've talked a lot in Cersei about the four um, tenets or four pillars of classical education, and and one of them is a high view of man. Yeah, Hicks says at the bottom of page three, education at every level reflects our primary assumptions about the nature of man. And for this reason, no education is innocent of an attitude toward man and his purposes. So who you think man is, what he was made for, what his purpose is, is going to determine how then how then should he be educated. Um, And so Hicks brings in this idea of prescriptive versus descriptive. And if all your education is doing is describing what is, um, this is what we can do based on what we see in front of us. 
it's going to fall far short of an education that says, yes, but this is what we ought to do. This is what man ought to be like. And this is what we should aim for. And that's prescriptive. So we're going to look for materials and stories to read and things to write about and ideas to talk about that always put that in front of us. What should we ought to do in this in this situation? What should we what should we be doing? Right. And that's where the idea of the ideal type comes in, right? Because that example of the ideal type, and he puts those in capital letters, Mm -hmm. the ideal type, Um, because ultimately our ideal type is Christ, but um, also in myths and stories and heroes, there are attributes of those people that indicate that in some way they are an ideal type that we can seek to emulate or that puts that puts those characteristics and qualities mm-hmm. up for us to look at and examine right and say, this is, is enough, we need to carry it forward this is this we don't have right. to reinvent this every year right we can look backwards and say this is that kind of person that exemplifies and embodies these characters these virtues yeah and and the idea the idea of the ideal type goes right through the whole book Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely seven. that's one thing you want to you want to get a good handle on when you start reading this and so um don't skip the preface and the prologue because yeah that's where he defines the ideal type right right yes don't skip the preface and the prologue i mean lots of times you open a book and sometimes i'll open a book and i'll read it and then i'll read the introduction later or the prologue later but um no read it Mm-hmm. especially since I think he's in the newest one, he's going to be writing a new introduction. I know. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to get a new book and put all new yeah, books and highlights. I think you are. But, but I, you, I, I, I know mine is all, mine is all dog-eared oh, yeah. and, and no writing. Hicks signed my book. I'm not getting rid of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah. A special place on my show. I don't, I think he signed mine. He signed Andrews, and Andrews has read. He's read his so much. There's no cover on his book. Really, <laughs> it's just falling to pieces. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those books. Like, it's not how many times you've been through it, but how much has been. Right. It's got its. And in. it's that's one of the things about it. It's after you read it, it's such a great reference. And I think that's why it's so. Everybody who has one has read it so well is if you, you know, if you need encouragement, if you have questions, if you have to do a talk for somebody, if you have to speak about, you know, the imagination or whatever about, you know, in relation to classical education, you can always find whatever you need in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So if y'all are reading along with us, um, feel free to send us a note or post something on our Facebook page group and, you know, let us know if there's a question you have or something you didn't understand and, and you'd like That's to good idea. toss it out for some conversation with the other people. Um, we would love to hear from you. And um, I'm, I'm going to say as, as we close out today, um, one of the, la- the last sentence is one of my favorite, the last sentence in the prologue where he says classical education refreshes itself at cisterns of learning dug long ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint, the strength to turn our cultural retreat into advance. Mm, That is beautiful. There is living water there, and um, 
it's good oh. for us. it's good for us so thank you all for listening in today and thank you karen for um getting us kicked off on this this new journey through norms and nobility and we look forward to where we're going to go with it we look forward to all the conversations we're going to have so for those of y'all listening um join in we can't wait to have you on this journey with us so until next time here's to home Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.